Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. He comes to us from the UK. His name is Luke Dodson, and he's been working on some very interesting research that I think is very important, ties into many things that are happening around the world. But his specific kind of inquiry is this ecological movement and how it's being uh, influenced by some of these more kind of postmodern pretty out there ideas and he can he can talk more about that he has a podcast called the dodcast i was on that and the, the one of the articles titles that i read the article's title is queering the pitch a response to the land workers alliances statement on trans land workers and trans or land workers is in quotes and then another article he read is android wolves electric sheep play on uh, philip k dick Echo modernism and the rise of the green technocracy. So he talks about the green technocracy, but uh, he can talk more about that. So Luke Dodson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Excellent. So for people who may not have heard your name or your work, I know that you, your family background, we talked in the pre-show, you have kind of grown up in the ecological idea movements, maybe left wing. Can you talk about your background and kind of what led you up to write these particular articles about this green technocracy? Yeah, so going right back to the beginning, um, you know, my parents are academics and have been, had been involved in various sorts of activist campaigns <clears throat> from really from the 70s through the 80s and 90s and to some extent into the 2000s as well. So I was definitely exposed to a lot of uh fairly radical uh, political ideas and movements you know i was being taken to climate change uh, demos and reclaim the streets kind of demos uh in the sort of late 90s early 2000s and um th this this radicalism also goes back into my uh uh sort of ancestry as well as uh, as i was saying in the our pre-show chat that um, my great-grandfather was a, a writer called J.B. Priestley, who's very prominent uh, uh, left-wing campaigner, uh, was involved in the Labour Party here in Britain, campaigned for nuclear disarmament, uh, but also um, was a fellow traveller to a lot of members of the Fabian Society that I'm sure many listeners of this show will be very familiar with, like uh, Aldous and Julian Huxley and uh, various characters like that. And this is, you know, an overlap I have with, with Jason Horsley. Uh, our, our ancestors, our mutual ancestors knew each other and were collaborating on the same sorts of campaigns. So that... I've done tons of shows with Jason Horsley. I'm, yeah. I'm at least five or six, so... We've talked yeah. about all of his books. I've been on his podcast as well. Yes, I've, I've listened to uh, a few of the episodes of The Liminalist, which you appeared on as well. So, yeah, that, that was how I, I, I got in touch with Jason originally uh, through finding his his work and realizing we had these uh, a number of very interesting uh, connections. In are our... you also in Yorkshire or what part of the UK are you in? Uh, right now I'm in uh, Devon, which is in the southwest. Um, I'm from London originally. Uh, so JB moved down south and 
his second wife, who was my step great grandmother, uh, was a very, very wealthy, uh, posh lady. So he he was brought down to the the southerly regions. Um, but he was from Yorkshire too, so that's the connection exactly. between Horsley yeah. and you. So the north eastern part of uh, the UK. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that was my 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 own background. Uh, you know, I, I studied English literature at university, um, and have been, you know, peripherally involved in some environmental campaigns over the years. The most, the most uh, active involvement I had was with the anti-fracking campaign uh, in. 2016 or so 2015-16 which was the year that also the year I found Jason's work and the whole world kind of shifted in many different ways you know various sorts of uh, uh, cracks and fissures started to appear in the culture and um, through my involvement with the anti-fracking campaign but also my involvement with the psychedelics research scene and community, I began to notice uh, a particular tone that was creeping into the environmental movement, which was very much focused on top-down, technological, technocratic intervention into human society uh human biology even and even going into uh, uh the ecosystem itself so that the rhetoric was focused on dig- uh, genetically altering ecosystems to deal with climate change uh which was a complete surprise to me to see environmentalists talking about this because just 15 years earlier, you know, there was a, a lot of resistance to genetically modified crops here in the UK. A lot of, you know, uh, prominent campaigners got themselves arrested for pulling pulling them up. And so this sort of sense of it, intervention into biological life really began to be uh, quite vocal and noticeable and that's Uh, kind of sorry to interrupt but that's kind of a change because the old ecological movement was to go back to the state of kind of a closer state of nature not modify it right so that's kind of like we got to save this land to know its primeval state so this new thing is like hey we're going to upgrade this to with our technical technological skills to what we think is the new idea would you agree with that Absolutely, yeah. So uh, uh, upgrade is the right word, sort of nature 2.0, you could say. Um, We, you know, we've got our our technological ingenuity. And uh, I was a bit alarmed by this. Uh, This was quite a a sudden jolt. I mean, you'd always had a bit of that idea that technology would save us all and, you know, we could just sort of harness the weather and all that sort of thing. But um, from that... And in particular, the uh, uh, Joker 71's just mentioning the New Green Deal, and this was something that was coming up around then as well with the rise of Extinction Rebellion. Uh, so I, I, I just 
what happened was I, I saw this sort of eco-modernist stuff and uh, I kind of footnoted it. I just said that's something to pay attention to, but, you know, I'm focused on other things for now. When Extinction Rebellion started and Greta Thunberg and all of these uh, the climate campaigns, I started to look a bit deeper, and this was also around the time I was discovering the work of people like James Howard Kunstler and John Michael Greer, who were talking about uh, the, you know, um, the issues facing industrial civilization in quite a nuanced way. And you've had both of them on your podcast, so people can check that out on through your website, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, thanks. So the uh, the 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 Extinction Rebellion campaign. Uh, really started to send off some alarm bells for me and particularly with the way that it affected so many friends of mine uh some of whom have since disowned me over the the uh fundamental differences of opinion that emerged in the 2020s the the rise of xr seemed to encap enrapture so many people it brought a, a sense of panic, uh, a sense of urgency. Uh, it was highly alarmist in the way that, you know, uh, climate change campaigns back in the early 2000s weren't so alarmist. And in, and in fact, the, the sorts of predictions that climate campaigners were making back in, say, 2001 most of them hadn't come to pass by 2018, 2019. Can you just describe what Extinction Rebellion really was, what their ideas were, what their kind of who founded it? Um, yes. So XR or Extinction Rebellion, XR is sort of the short form, is a really fascinating case study that got me back into writing and blogging and really researching this stuff properly because it was a, a really really fantastic sort of uh anchor on which to hold and sort of push into something else because it was so something about it was nagging me that something wasn't right uh the the researchers that i would recommend for looking a bit deeper into extinction rebellion would be uh a collective that calls itself a UN Extinction or Unextinction, and they have a number of articles over at the News from Nowhere website. That's uh, nowhere.news. Uh, that's the that's the hyperlink. And they've got a, a fantastic series of articles uh, called Astroturfing, uh, Astroturfing the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So definitely check those out. And... They've done an exhaustive research into the background of Extinction Rebellion. From what I understand, it seems to me as though the... Uh, that's it, yeah, media from the margins. The really key player in Extinction Rebellion uh, is Gail Bradbrook. And Gail Bradbrook had a background in uh, lobbying for the Blair government, uh, principally for the telecommunications industry which is an interesting uh interesting sort of connection uh, I'll, I'll kind of bookmark that gail bradbrook 
got involved with some climate activists in London, uh, one of whom I also knew uh, from way back when. And they formulated Extinction Rebellion uh, with the help of another chap called Roger Hallam, who's late, since distanced himself, or has been distanced rather, from Ektar due to various controversies. Uh, or at least on the surface he's been distanced, but I suspect they're collaborating still behind the scenes. Gail Bradbrook is a very dubious character. I've encountered her at uh, one of the psychedelic conferences that I used to attend back in the back in the days when I was involved in that scene. Um, I mean, for one thing, you know, aside from her various links to uh, the, the telecommunications industry, uh, she also has links to uh, the military via an ex-husband uh, whose name escapes me right now, but her ex-husband... Simon was, Bramwell? Simon uh, Bramwell? Possibly, yes. I'd, I'd have to recheck. Or Jeffrey Forshaw, one of those two. Yeah. She had a, she had a, um, a, a former partner uh, who was involved with the... was a, a member of the RAF. So there's a, a military connection there, which is interesting. Uh, but also the oil industry, which is... <laughs> there's a kind of an interesting little uh, uh, detail there because um, the quote-unquote charity that she's involved with, which is called Citizens Online which is ostensibly about widening access to uh, the internet for disabled people or something that sounds very innocuous like that, is, uh, seems to be a, have a rather wider remit, which with the rollout of 5G and the massive, massive emphasis on telecommunications, uh, in the wake of all the COVID lockdowns, which, you know, pushing people indoors so that they have to uh, spend more time on the internet. Um, Citizens Online uh, also has uh, one of its board of directors is uh, an executive of ExxonMobil. Uh, wow. So, um, interesting interesting little connection there gail bradbrook claims not to have not to know who this man is she she was up on it on facebook and this was uh, uh, uh documented on the uh, un extinction news from nowhere series uh she said oh, oh i've never heard of this richard coleman is the name i've never heard of richard coleman could you remind me of why i should know him and he's been a prominent senior director of citizens online uh during uh, pretty much the whole time that she was involved with it which, which is not like she was just an intern for six months she was working with citizens online for a long time so you have gail bradbrook um another sort of broader uh, source of, of context would be Corey Morningstar's Wrong Kind of Green website, which, uh, again, many many listeners will probably be aware of. Um, and uh, 
Corey Morningstar did an excellent series called The Manufacturing of Greta Thunberg, um, mm. which is about the, the, the corporate uh, corporate industrial governmental uh, factions behind uh, Greta Thunberg. Um, this, you know, this 12-year-old girl who just happens to be sitting outside of a school to uh, protest climate change. And then this uh, rich financier stroke PR agent just walks past on that day and uh, creates this massive social media viral campaign about it. Um, uh, And this was all around the same time. It, It seems to me that... The timing of it is uh, quite relevant to the uh, election of Trump and the voting in uh, the the vote for Brexit. Basically, that it seems to me that that around 2016 there was some sort of fissure and a great deal of conflict er- erupted between different factions of the global elites. And there's various factions trying to stage a power grab. You had these populist populist insurgents within the system kind of like seizing power and speaking to the ordinary people uh, in ways that they uh, they found refreshing. I'm I'm not a a Trump supporter myself, but I can understand certainly why people would find him uh, a refreshing alternative. Um, And, and, what happened is two years later, you know, this sort of the the faction of the elites that were very much in prominence in the 1990s, who'd suffered a bit of a, a blow to their power, you know, the EU, uh, um, you know, the Democrats losing and such like, they, they staged a bit of a, 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 a power grab. So Extinction Rebellion, Greta Thunberg, all this stuff was the, the first sort of chapter of this this retaliation of let's let's take the power back for us the other aspect of it i think is uh, a realization that various industrial economic factors were in play that would lead to uh, a great deal of economic instability and this would result in insurrection and populist movements rising up just people saying we don't have enough we just want to live give us what we want and the yellow vest movement is an example of that you know just people i'm sure there were you know hidden factions behind that as well but it seemed to me that the yellow vest movement was uh predominantly just people kind of saying something's wrong we can't afford to live we need to to kick back and that this was around the same time as the extinction rebellion movements which were basically saying uh tax us more heavily uh and reduce our standard of living because climate change is going to kill everyone in five seconds uh you know so you get this uh you you get a a kind of multi-pronged attack on uh you know people's people's quality of life in the form of these uh, push these sorts of you know that the push for plant-based 
diets and insect protein and you know basically taking people making it more difficult for people to access good wholesome healthy animal protein um which i believe is uh you know i i, I believe that there are perfectly sound ecological uh and uh organic ways of of getting a decent healthy a decent healthy diet i don't think we need to eat bugs i i, I don't believe that we need to uh uh you know um eat fermented bacterial soy you know uh if people wish to be vegan themselves that's absolutely fine with me i have no issues with people's personal dietary choices but i certainly don't believe that it should be forced on people and i certainly don't believe that the the mis in the misinformation that this is intrinsically a better diet for the environment so um, animal rebellion is a sort of off offshoot of Extinction Rebellion at the moment, which is um, their, their particular form of activism is they go to supermarkets and they pour out uh, milk onto the floor, um, which is one of these incredibly uh, divisive and... Um, flagrant displays of privilege in my opinion that you know a time when food prices are going up you know energy prices are going up people are finding it harder to uh to make ends meet and to just do the things that they they need to do to you know get their kids to school to feed their families uh you know to do all those things but to just profligately waste dairy because of some half-baked climate ideology uh it, it is just so incredibly entitled and uh I, I you know just to put my own personal personal sort of take on it i just think it's a uh, uh, quite inappropriate um and there's all those demonstrations are going on climate change paint on the walls there's all kinds of activists just like you said this milk pouring out they're just all over the place now, at least on the media. So yeah. this whole notion of the echo, this kind of new version of the echo activist or echo culture jammer is mm. very uh, pronounced. Yeah, I think so. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, the, the paint thrown on Van Gogh's uh, sunflowers. Right. Um, that this was something I, I was just reading on Greer's blog, actually. He, he pointed out that... Uh, mass-minded people uh, can't stand great art because great art elevates the consciousness and it does seem that there's a, a certain you know opposition to a sense of beauty harmony you know a, a sort of an opposition to a sense of the sacred and of 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 uh, uh cosmic order that that a lot of these campaigns seem to promote this sort of ugliness and despoiling and trashing and and you know uh uh this sort of thing. So that's a, a interesting footnote. No, oh, it's interesting. I find that a lot in the kind of communistic worldview too, is the striving for kind of this fairness and equality. You can't have something outstanding. You have to cut off uh, uniqueness to ensure this kind of conformist ideology and behavior. I think. I think that's precisely. Yeah, and you know that that the. Fabians like uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw 
uh, and H.G. Wells back in the, the 20th century realized that the end point of communism was the same end point as consumer capitalism. That corporate, that the big corporate sort of takeover ultimately ends up with a, you know, a uniform society, a, me a mechanized society, a soulless society, a society devoid of, of the sacred, of, uh, of uniqueness, of, of uh, you know, all of the peculiarities uh, and idiosyncrasies that go along with the, the, the created world as we see it, that all of those can be streamlined out and we can, you know, have one, one size fits all for everything. So, right. Once one corporatized solution. I mean, here in the states, we're not that much far out of that. There's, I mean, there's still some uniqueness and uh, individuality around, but I think that the real, the real background right here now is really kind of a fascism. But with all this language that you point out, kind of in your, in your articles, you know, this whole BIPOC, uh, trans inclusivity, and I think it was really interesting, like. So you have this, we're in a completely uh, unique kind of world right now where you have this weird language, but also kind of this uh, totalism in uh, political, economic life. Like it's really moved, especially after this whole lockdown where all the money went to the top. Um, mm. It's even more pronounced. So it's, uh, it's very interesting that, like in communism, the state has all the power, right? So... Mm. It's almost yeah. something like that, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the sort of socializing of, of our vocabulary and, and everything that we're supposed to be focused on. So uh, an organization like the Land Workers Alliance 15 years ago, uh, whether you agreed with everything they said or not, they certainly probably, I don't think they'd be so focused on just identity politics because it's like, Land workers, most of them aren't trans, whatever trans means, you know, most likely they're just, you know, ordinary people working on a farm, you know, working as a, as a forester or a tree surgeon or, or whatever it is. And I've worked with those people, you know, and uh, most of them are pretty sort of the earth kind of, you know, working class blue collar people you know they, they they don't understand this kinds of language they don't have any need for it it doesn't come from their world uh, in fact I, I don't believe that anyone understands the kind of language that these this trans ideology is promoting i think that it's that's the point of it that that's one of the things that i i tried to highlight in the article is that if you refer to someone as non-binary you're already making a statement that is it's circular and so it's effectively meaningless you know what is a non-binary person what does it mean to be non-binary right. you know, up a binary between binary and non-binary so what's non-non-binary you know <laughs> and this is this drives the wedge between the 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 language we speak and our embodied lived experience of reality so we can't then formulate a coherent conception of what reality is because we're speaking lies, you know, like uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Solzhenitsyn, you know, Solzhenitsyn said about 
living in communist Russia, that the the fundamental uh, uh, the the imperative for people of faith living in communist Russia is to live not by lies, is to refuse to speak the lies that the the regime was telling them to speak, and this was a way of keeping their dignity and their 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 faith in the face of this uh, you know this tyrannical regime and when i hear people speak in this language oh, oh, oh you know they're non-binary and this is why we need to respect them and their pronouns and all this sort of stuff is uh it, it's a lie uh, and i can't in my own conscience say these words because i don't believe that these people will benefit from it i don't believe i'll benefit from it i think that fundamentally we need to get back to uh, a really you know a, 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 we need to get back first of all the old way of speaking <laughs> right like actual <laughs> meaning of words in yeah. a dictionary that you can define like that yeah i mean but, something uh, we're taught in elementary school like uh what are your actual words mean? And you actually indicate in your article, even the people who use these words don't even know what they mean. Yes. They don't even know the de definition of that. Like yes. What is a trans person? Yes. Define that exactly. Is it because it could be there could be 50 definitions of that? Yes. Yes. And it always seems to come down to if you if you proclaim that you're a trans person, then you're a trans person, just like the, you know, the 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 journal that the Land Workers Alliance promoted, which said, well, if you feel like you're a land worker, then you're a land worker. You know, it's like, well, my favorite, my favorite part of the article is that you claimed that you were BIPOC to get the benefit and they accepted it. <laughs> they they did. accepted it. Yes, they yeah, did. I'm BIPOC. Right. So uh, they, exactly. They, yeah, they, they don't even believe their own definitions. Just whatever yeah, you want. Yeah. It's whatever you want. They, they didn't even question me about it. And, you know, if they did, I was going to, sort of pull out because I'm I'm half American and like a lot of a lot of Americans I have a, a little bit of, of ancestry from the, the native peoples of that continent. Uh, and so I was gonna pull that out and say, well actually I have, you know, a lineage from the Cherokee, Catawba and Osagi tribe. So uh, here you go. But they didn't even ask me that. So and you know, just for the record, I don't claim to have any, you know, I, I I don't have any connection with people from those tribes. I don't, you know, I, I've read about their culture and I respect their cultures and find them interesting. But, you know, I, I don't want to be one of these sorts of uh, pretendian types that sort of bigs that bigs up this aspect because I think it's a, a you know, a, an insult to people who, who come from these cultures uh, to have their cultures ransacked in this way. Uh, but, but, you know, there are, they would have accepted me doing that if i if i'd wanted to but this almost is an uh, a ransacking of that blue collar native land workers ideology that's not tainted with this language or these ideas there's probably i mean how what's the real population of quote whatever trans is how what's that population in the general population 1% 2% this is like a minority thinking pushed upon a majority who it's not even in their mind but this whole, this whole language, like you said, it's imposed to have some type of effect, right? Some form of change. Exactly. It's not used, this kind of broken down language is not used 
uh, at random, it's foreign intent. Yes. Right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you point out that this is how many, how many of these blue collar people really identify as trans and it, indeed, you know, for that matter, how many, uh, members of indigenous tribes actually would understand this language or accept it. There was that recent film, uh, Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, uh, which has a particularly amusing segment where he's talking to some Maasai tribesmen in Kenya and uh, through an interpreter, he's trying to trying to ask them, well, you know, can a man be a woman? And they, they go, uh, no, no, that you can't have that. It's like, what about a non-binary person? And like this translator's trying to interpret and then these guys in the background are just falling about laughing. Like I can't, I can't, no, nah, I'm not going to make it. Like this is too much for me. Right. So, so the Maasai tribesmen and the land worker are similar. So these ideas are like, I think you pointed out in your articles that these ideas are coming from some kind of urban generation or something. And they're trying to impose it upon everybody it's really something else so it, these don't there these trans ideas do not come from land workers blue collar people rural people at all it's yeah. coming from somewhere else yeah or through them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and okay. i think it was interesting too you mentioned this formation so martias desmets or desme i don't know how to pronounce his last name yes but this formation then becomes self-perpetuating so yeah. some of these people i know people i'm in california so i know people who think these ideas, they don't even know where they come from. They have been like a software got put in their brain and now they're, they're promoting it like a, like a software virus thinking that they're at the highest level of human virtue. Yes. It's really incredible. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and you know, th this sort of going back to the climate activists and that sort of thing that, I, I think that this has happened with the climate movement as well, that a lot of these actions, uh, you know, my, my dad asked me, do you think that this, you know, this Van Gogh uh, vandalism was directed from, from top down somewhere? And it, it could well have done, but it also could easily have been just that all they have to do is set the ball rolling and, you know, some naive young people who are suffering from just a spiritual malaise i'd put it a lack of meaning in their lives you know that they, they 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 are looking for a sense of hope a sense of purpose uh, and it they seem they find something that that resembles it in this climate movement and they and they just roll with that and the you know the the controllers or whatever can just go oh well that's brilliant you know Having said that, I also do think that there are orders from top down to not prevent this sort of thing. Because let's just imagine if some anti-lockdown protesters uh, had done something, you know, something like this. First of all, you know, it, it wouldn't be on the front page news. They'd try and hush it up as quickly as they possibly could. If they couldn't hush it up, they would demonize and you know that you know they would send in the they would send in the troops to sort of sort it out. But of course anti lockdown pr protesters wouldn't do something like that. Because the anti lockdown protesters were just saying we just want the right to hang out with each other and hug each other like normal human beings. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, we don't feel the need to desecrate classic works of art for our cause. But, yes. No, it is remarkable. There's something going on. So this is like the Greta Thunberg formation. Uh, I don't know if they're psychotic, but it's some type of psycho psychological operation that has these things. This is the new postmodern religion, I think. If you right. don't have Christianity or Buddhism or something, this mm. new kind of climate change ideology is it. So mm. Mm. it's... Uh, it's interesting, like all these guys out on the streets and protesting. And I mean, we can get into the whole carbon issue, but the carbon cycle is a real thing. So this additional carbon man-made anthropogenic climate change is actually, when you really look at it, it's actually kind of funny. It, do you believe, are you a client? I mean, I don't even use the word climate change. It's not because climate change has always happened mm. on Earth since its inception or however the ball started spinning around the sun, but... Um, that's why, I mean, you can't, that's another element of language, the move of language into a term that really doesn't mean anything kind mm. of like conspiracy theorist mm -mm. where the climate change, it's always changed. So are mm. you against climate change? You're against reality. You're using yeah. a term that is like, uh, you know, water boiled turns into steam or something. That's just what happens. Climate changes. Ever. The sun goes around, it goes down, it gets dark and cold and then it gets hot again. I mean, just the, the fact that they're using that term is just going back to the language again, which uh, mm -hmm. just like Orwell, they have to corrupt the language, right? Just, just to get yeah. people together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for myself, I'm an agnostic. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, basically. I don't know what's, I, I suspect that probably everything has some kind of impact on the climate because, you know, everything, the climate's worth changing anyway. So, um, to single out, uh, well, singling out carbon, whether carbon emissions are changing the climate or not, for me is like, it's that's a that's another debate. I think that I'm happy for people to to discuss that, and I, I kind of lean slightly skeptical to. I think that I I doubt it's changing the climate as much as is being claimed at the moment, but I, I'm I'm open minded. But for me, it's it's what I find really interesting is the way that if you focus on carbon and focus on these isolated gases, you can basically stop talking about pollution, which is what the environmental movement was originally focused on. Uh, and you can actually come up with ways to offset your carbon footprint by funding a tree planting campaign over here or putting up a carbon capture facility over there or all of these sorts of various methods some of which might work better than others you know planting trees depending on where and what type might you know at least can't hurt probably um you know other technologies just obviously actually don't work at all carbon capture and storage actually increases the carbon emissions so but it means that a company can sort of put this label on their product and say it's carbon neutral and, ah, it's carbon neutral so it's environmentally friendly so it's good so it's and, uh, it's it's all just you know it's all puff puff and drama and marketing and pr and you know so yeah right and but it's that whole strange language that people are having to absorb 
And I think it's, I think you talk about Darwimple where he's saying the, this language is trying to get you to suck into the system and give up really. Right. And just, yeah. just go along and be kind of a NPC and Oh, sure. Boss, whatever, whatever you want, whatever your pronouns are, I'm fully for trans rights. even though I don't, cannot define what trans means. But it actually reads, leads to real-world events because you mentioned a couple of characters. Somebody who I didn't know was this guy, Martine Rothblatt, and some other ones, um, Sophie Pritchard. They're actually wealthy people who are trying to institute these ideas or expand these ideas within the cult, common culture, right? Mm. Yes. Can we talk about them? Yes, so Martin Rothblatt is a, a billionaire CEO of uh, uh, various sorts of, uh, you know, Silicon Valley type tech companies, and um, uh, she uh, is a transgendered person. Um, uh, she was a he. She was a he until forty. Yeah. So, and uh, so Rothblatt has been quite open about um, transgenderism being a Trojan horse for transhumanism, uh, that this is, or a, a gateway rather, not because it, it's, once it's out in the open, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about, um, it's not a Trojan horse anymore. It's just the, it's just the first step. So the idea is that you, you get people to unmoor the unmooring of gender identity from the physical uh, body, you know, which uh, Jennifer Billick has talked about that. Um, and then, you know, from there, uh, the next step is uh, the unmooring of the uh, the human identity from the, the physical body. And then you can just start to alter and modify the physical body at will so that okay my gender identity doesn't align with my physical body so my 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 gender identity isn't isn't the thing that needs to be looked at it's my physical body uh so my physical body needs to be chopped and changed and rewired and uh i need to take all drugs and sort of have these invasive surgeries that are irreversible and uh, effectively um uh will leave leave the the body a eunuch you know leave the person a eunuch um because it doesn't match up to my gender identity but then from there you can go in and there are transhumanists who for instance uh believe that they'd be much happier in the body of a dragon and they look forward to a future in which they can modify their own body to be a fire-breathing dragon flying around the skies um th these you know they genuinely these people genuinely feel like that's their <laughs> their true right. but so for them for a young kid to go through these gender uh, surgeries and drugs that's okay because they be believe that too so whatever you feel so this whole ideology is all there so it's in this like you write this is a direct quote it's an assault on naturalism, essentialism, vitalism. So those basic fundamentals that everybody took for granted for generations in this, this generation by those people is an anachronism. 
It's really yeah. incredible. So for some of those people, and that guy, I, I keep an eye on that guy, whatever his name, Martin Rothblatt. He's yeah. talking about changing consciousness into a robot. Yeah. He, he, he has started his religion. His son is a member of that religion. They have, they're all non-binary. They have like pansexual views. Mm-hmm. It's Luciferianism. It's like really. And it's interesting because you mentioned Harry Hay. And I had a whole chapter on Harry Hay in my book, Children of the Beast, because a lot of people don't know he's the founder of the gay rights movement, but he came up with this two-spirit thing that you talked about. Yeah. But Harry Hay, at his start, he's a communist. He had a communist views and used to play piano at the OTO uh, lodge in Hollywood. Literally played played piano in these early Crowley, yeah, these early Crowley uh, meetings. So he was uh, he was uh, and actually the gay rights movement has there are little traces of this Crowleyan view because Crowley had this also this non binary view. They didn't have those terms back then. But he would be like a pansexual. I think Crowley would be seen as a pansexual. Yes. And his followers too. And you can talk about Genesis P. Ords and some of these other characters who are doing the same thing. Genesis P. Ords, Crowley follower. I think he cut his, I mean, he was really one of the first body uh, modification, I guess you could call it, uh, per people out there. So it is interesting how these are overlapping. And, and there's a, I, I would like to see. I don't know Rothblatt's religion, but I'd like to see how close it is to the kind of Crowley and Thelemite stream. Be interesting. And, and hey, through hey, it's incredible. So hey, even I think in one of his later things, he's quoting quoting Crowley, and I concluded that in my book. So that, I, I wasn't aware of that. It's really interesting, but not at all surprising because, as you say, Crowley uh, had this kind of you know pansexual kind of sexual liberation ethos of you know. Um, uh anything goes you know uh and you know that's been hugely hugely influential hugely uh popular and you know uh we're starting to see the consequences of when you unleash that kind of ideology on a society at large um and you know the sorts of the sorts of things that are being taught to children nowadays uh but you know like it as so many people I know that back in the, say the 1990s would have been on the liberal end of the spectrum. It's like, yeah, you know, we're, you know, we're tolerant and we don't have a, you know, we're fine, whatever, like, you know, gay rights is no problem. And then so many people are actually now going, hang on a minute. There's something really going, something really odd going on here. And indeed a lot of people within the gay community itself are also saying, hold on a minute, you know, this is, gays against groomers who've had their social media platforms uh uh sort of compromised and such like paypal i think uh and you know they uh you know they're allowing this is the the same platforms are allowing openly pedophile advocacy groups to retain their accounts but gays against groomers which seems to me like a perfectly wholesome uh you know campaign uh you know group of people in the lesbian and gay community bisexual community whatever saying well actually we don't really want this agenda being pushed on children because it's not appropriate and um they're the they're the bigots (laughs) right ah strange days i mean very strange like there's all i mean yeah 
there's all kinds of like pedophilia stuff on Twitter is my understanding that they don't even get rid of it. And it's really crazy. It's just a crazy, crazy world. And it's interesting how you talk about how the land workers, like they would much more concerned about this whole terminology and trans rights than the actual global assault upon land rights in the world. Right. So we've seen Sri Lanka ongoing in the Netherlands Australia, just everywhere, there's a total WEF assault upon these blue collar people doing their jobs, and they, they're overlooking it for this kind of woke ideology. It's really yeah. Uh, astonishing. Yeah. Yes, it, it it really is. Uh, you, you're absolutely right that that they are uh, completely overlooking. Uh, you know, one of the most important kind of land workers movements of today and and you know another another statement that the lwa issued was uh, a statement in support of migrant land workers which i think is really interesting because to be a land worker means to have some sort of connection and relationship to the land that one is working and uh, to really have a a, a stable uh, society of land workers there needs to be some continuity there um, but that continuity is not really compatible with a globalized world and so that's why I think there is this huge focus on refugees and migrants uh, from these sorts of organizations which is that you know if you if you uh, dilute a population uh with you know all kinds of different nationalities and you know that, that that's it gets into some thorny territory but essentially you know you, you are gonna destabilize that society and mean that everyone becomes rootless uh, and the the migrants themselves are also rootless uh you know they've been they've been uprooted or they you know they've uprooted themselves but you know that in many cases these are people fleeing issues that the very same elites have created that they are now expecting the host populations to make room and make way for people running away from the wars and the you know the terrible situations that they started in the first place with their wars in Iraq and their wars in Syria and all of these things that uh, and you know that to sort of to focus on that, I think, is a really interesting uh, and revealing aspect of what the the LWA are really about. Right, it is interesting. I mean, they say that if you want to destabilize the takeover a country, that's what you do: bring in foreign populations and uh, destroy the kind of. Uh, coherence or cohesiveness of the group that's presently there so that's really what's happening all over the world u.s europe i don't know if it's not happening anywhere really they're moving yeah. moving it's it's happening in the first world i would say yeah except for really japan doesn't seem to really have that view that they really want to take in people or refugees they don't seem to have the refugee problem i would call yeah but in other parts of the world u.s and europe definitely happen. And the consequences are going to be immense over the next 50, 100 years, too. 
oh, especially when you when you bring in refugees to a place that's hurt, hurting like the 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 collapse is going to happen within the next five years it's collapsing now imagine what happens with these refugees in a collapsed economy oh yeah it's just gonna i mean here in this in california something that i've never seen is now almost every store has security because there's people here who came here either illegally or illegal immigrants and they're just stealing stuff out of these stores left and right there's like people getting busted for shoplifting all the time mm -hmm. and it's not something that i've never seen i mean they're desperate right so they need to eat but it's not it's not a functioning society when you're letting people in who can't function in the society without crime it's incredible no no <laughs> it's, it's it, a whole other story particularly good for the it's not particularly good for the the migrants themselves because there will be uh many migrants who are uh, attempting quite earnestly to get to a country to live there live a wholesome life productive life and integrate with the community but they're not going to be helped by an open door policy that's allowing you know a bunch of vagabonds criminals and terrorists to join them in that sort of march and the idea that you can just bring in vast numbers of fighting age men from war-torn countries uh, into stable liberal, well, previously stable liberal democracies and not have some kind of massive blowback that uh, will end up having ramifications for the elites themselves who are saving it. This, this is the thing I, I find particularly ironic and tragic is that this has happened before, and in fact, in my own country, that you only have to look at the, the the history of the fall of the Roman Empire here, and how the Anglo-Saxons, the ancestors of them, were originally invited in by the the Romans and the post-Roman aristocracy as mercenaries, and then more of them came, and then more of them came, and then more of them came, and as a result, now we're speaking English. Uh, you know the. The ancestor of the tongue that we're speaking was brought here by uh, migrants, which I think is really funny because liberals really like to point out the waves of migration of history uh, as being like, well, this is an example of why it's absolutely nothing to worry about and perfectly natural. But you're ignoring all of the bloodshed, the heartache, the trauma, the uprooting, the you know the the languages and cultures and and ways of life that were eclipsed from one, you know, successive wave to another that now, um, you know, archaeologically we're seeing that there, there was actually, uh, uh, that there were these, you know, quite drastic upheavals of popular, not necessarily complete genocide or anything, but certainly, you know, it, it's, I think people can't really handle or face up to the, the really the gravity of the situation that we're facing with the, the migration. It's taken me a while to uh, come to a, a point where I could be open about it and accept it because you know I don't have a I don't have a particular issue with being around people of other nationalities. I find them fascinating. I think I you know I went to university with many people from all over the world and I I really enjoy talking to people from other cultures and listening to their their particular take on on reality. Um, uh, but you know that the writing's on the wall. I don't know, man. How many people can you fit in the boat? 
I don't know. Here in the states, you can't fit as many because here in California, you have fifty thousand people living on the streets. Like, and then you're bringing in a new population. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's crazy. I don't even know what the political class here is even thinking. I think yeah. that they're in a bubble. They're in gated communities, very wealthy. So that just to them, everybody outside of that's just a big yeah. horde of like uh, unwashed, useless eaters. So they don't really even care. That's why. But I mean, I think that, yeah, I think that we're in a crazy environment. But I think that this land use and everything like that really does have to do with migration and the farming and all that stuff and how what they haven't planned for us, too, is really that you're not going to get a healthy diet. They don't want you to have a healthy diet, plant based diet. Uh, they, you know, some of these animals are good for the ecosystem, right? Because they're, yeah. you know, eating stuff. There's manure. There's all kinds of uh, advantageous things about this kind of the cyclical use of the land and things like that. And it's like they're going to make you eat bugs. Like, what did you write here? You get George Monbiot's fermented bacterial feces, Bill Gates's lab-grown pseudo meat, or Klaus Schwab's ground-up insect chow. It's crazy. It's so crazy. Yeah, those are the three choices that will be on offer for the, the peasant of the great peasants, region. Yeah. Well, yeah, well the, rest, the elites will be eating steak and, you know, caviar or, and all the rest of organic, it. Everything organic, so they'll have all organic food, no pesticides, grown locally, but you're yeah. going to get it to slop. I guess the Great Reset is trying to reset back to the old feudal state. I think that's really it. So they're going to sit in Switzerland and all the other slobs. They'll just treat like crap and give garbage food and garbage ideas, really. Mm. These old garbage ideas of uh, trans, whatever, or anything. But well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say that in fact that 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 their their resetting is actually potentially uh, to a, a level of for the ordinary person a, a level that's actually below that of a medieval peasant. That that a lot of medieval peasants actually were able to get a bit of animal protein maybe once every week or so. Uh, well meat once every week probably eggs and milk and things more often than that um and so actually we'll, we'll we may end up being a, 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 a in a worse off state than the average medieval peasant the medieval peasants might be looking at us you know from uh from the afterlife going oh damn yeah you had a bad i guess the peasants were never in debt like they are here in the states like everybody's in debt 40 or 50 percent of americans cannot handle a 500 hundred dollar bill um mm. so I don't know how how free you are, how much you're not a peasant. I guess you have to hit people with propaganda to make them feel like you're free or whatever. But if you're you're not much different than a indentured servant, if you yeah. own money on your mortgage, and then how they inflated everything so your mortgage is going up. Yeah. A lot of these they're going to just kick all these people out of their houses again, just like they did back in 2008. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Oh man, yeah, it's bad. This is, a, I mean, we're run by just, I mean, at least in the States, our political classes just does not. It's literally let them, Marie Antoinette, let them eat cake. Mm. F, the, F the poor here in the States. So it's terrible. They don't care. Yeah. But especially when they're shipping $100 billion off to a useless war that doesn't affect really anybody here. They just have to propagandize people yeah. into thinking it's worthwhile when it cares. I don't care. You're gonna they're literally supporting Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah. Like, the whole far right. I mean, it's it's not funny. It's like a dystopian hellscape, but like you're literally sending money so these people Nazis can get trained. You're so stupid. It's just unbelievable. I'm not saying you, I'm saying the American people. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
well, this is that in here in Europe. I mean, we we are directly affected by it in this in the sense that you know we we did get our gas predominantly from Russia, uh, and then what's happening now is that you know the Nord Stream pipeline explosion. Who knows what was going on there? Uh, U.S. did it. The U.S. did it. Yeah, I mean, it, nobody wants to say it now. Yeah, it, it, it's it, so you know that now that we're we're being asked to support a war that is actually compromising the ordinary people's uh, livelihood, um, and then um, what to go back to the climate activists? What I found particularly amusing was Just Stop Oil uh, pair uh, that you know threw soup on the the Van Gogh painting claimed to be protesting both fossil fuels and increased energy costs and uh, i've just been writing a piece on this and I, I i i realized that basically what they are what they're doing is equivalent to saying we're protesting against whaling and the increased costs of whale meat that's the same kinds of you know that that, that that's the logic there <laughs> you know because you, you think that solar power solar power and wind power is going to reduce energy costs well take a look at germany for a, a case study and how that won't work you know <laughs> but there we go i mean it's really amazing and these weird kind of npc icons on the back of their shirt like i don't know what they're trying to impart with that do you know what the symbol is do you know what it references uh i have no idea it, it looks like a light bulb a cross between a light bulb and one of the Borg from Star Trek, but with a kind of N got an NPC vibe, as you point out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and a sort of kind of like a skull. But everything's very sort of morbid, and it's very much a death cult. This climate cult, you know, it, it it's seems to be really speak to a sense of nihilism and despair that I yeah. think is very. Uh, particularly the idea that you know it's not worth having children because you know the future is so terrible. And just, I find it all very, uh, very sort of defeatist and and nihilistic. I agree. Sky is falling. We're right at the mm -hmm. cusp of the end of the stuff. All you have to do is go back and watch Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth and just go. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong here because all his predictions are all wrong. And then you have to kind of go, well, why are they wrong? Luke, we're at 60 minutes. Do you have a few minutes to take a couple questions? Absolutely, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, Joker asks, "What are your thoughts on Jeremy Hunt and Liz Truss and the budget issues?" This is uh, something I, I have to say. I've been uh, uh, only peripherally observing the the clown show that is the British government at the moment. I I am aware that Liz Truss uh, his has been booed out of the the press conference she gave where she was asked to apologize uh jeremy hunt seems to be uh, in a position to sort of take over but that the i it's it, you know um it's just something i haven't really been paying much attention to because the 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 british government uh is seems to be completely chronically incapable of of doing anything worthwhile or making any sense so i just sort of uh i, I dip my head in here and there so um uh, i have to mostly plead ignorance on that i'm afraid yorkshire rose asks does luke have any answers to thwart this uh 
I would say grow grow vegetables in your garden if you can. Uh, you know, work on uh, insulating your house. You know, think about that. Think about ways you can save money and save costs. Think about skills that you might have that are tradable or commodities. Uh, and make good connections with your community. You know, make love your family, love your friends, be there for them when they need you. Uh, choose people who are, are going to be there for you as well. Uh, thwart this by filling your own world with everything that is wholesome and right and good and stable and and strong you know stand with your own conviction stand with your own faith whatever faith that may be uh and uh thwart it through bringing bringing the 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 truth and bringing the uh the the light of 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 uh of wholesome living into the world and that ultimately ultimately these plans will fail and ultimately that you know this this empire is based on lies and it will fall apart and uh you know i i, I do believe that this is a, a a fantastic opportunity to stay true to what is real for you Good answer. And so John asked, does Luke have any thoughts on Samuel T. Coleridge's Ancient Mariner? Was he a sort of pre-ecologist nature conservationist? Do you know That's about? An interesting question. Uh, I would say that the romantic poets in general had a, were, they were pre precursors to uh, this sort of uh, awareness generally. You know, um, I'm also thinking of uh, William Wordsworth, um, uh, but also William Blake and uh, 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 many, many poets coming out of the Romantic movement um, who were essentially responding to the, the rise in industrial uh, society. That they, were, they were aware that something really radical and, and huge was happening in the world. Right. Blake uh, called them the satanic mills, right? Like, I mean, exactly. they saw them very sinister looking. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, his picture of Newton, sort of uh, Newton bending over the rock and just observing his uh, uh, his diagrams. Um, so so I, I do think that there's a real case to be made that the... Um, and I think if if many of these romantic poets were alive today, they'd be aghast and horrified by the the kinds of the plans enacted by the WEF, and also would be uh, would be well horrified by one for one thing by the idea of uh, desecrating a, a fabulous piece of art. Uh, that that would be completely incomprehensible to them. Why why would you do that? Why would you you take a masterpiece and and you know throw soup over it? It'd be quite, quite. Uh, it's it's more, kind of like a strange symbolism. I don't think they even got it, but like Campbell's is the a perfect example of mass-produced, canned reality 
that's what they're yeah. throwing on this masterpiece of the opposite of that. A guy who lived yeah. in poverty and derision and struggle and anonymity creating world-class art. I mean, it's really, it's yeah. something else. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, also the, the tin of soup as being an example of the kind of like sort of mass-produced bland pop art of the 20th century because of uh, Warhol's, Warhol's Campbell's. You know, it's like, why not throw a tin of soup over Warhol's, Warhol's Campbell's soup? I think that would be kind of funny. Like, at least that would be kind of an amusing, like, yeah, all right. But no, they have to take... Uh, so I thought that that, that would be ironic, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, Oswald Spengler asks, has Luke discovered any direct connections between those early German green movement pedo advocates and these echo queers he's crossed paths with? No direct connections, uh, but there is uh, there is a, a a symmetry there, and they're, they're definitely uh, in the future. Everyone will be able to desecrate art for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there is definitely a, 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 a an overlap. In, in ideology and a fundamental, uh, you know, a, a particular form of progressivism that you, you take. I mean, you know, we, we've got, we've, Oswald Spengler has joined us in the chat. So, great honor to have, uh, have Mr. Spengler. Um, idea about Faustian civilization. That Faustian civilization uh, just seems to, take everything to the extreme so the idea you get an idea of progress and you just take it to its absolute you, you just keep going and keep going and you erase all boundaries and uh, i saw a tote bag worn by a, a young sort of art student type woman in 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 canterbury uh, in the uk once which was a big student town and uh, it, it said no borders no binaries and that, that was the slogan. And I, I thought that this was just such a such a revealing uh, statement of no borders and no binaries. I, I wanted to ask her, actually, if uh, she used a computer, because, of course, if you don't have binaries, then uh, you can't really use computer technology, which is uh, based on binary code. So <laughs> might be a bit non-binary code. Yeah, ones and zeros. That's it. That's the foundation. That was uh, the what was the guy who did the Enigma? Oh, what was his name? That was really his gift to mathematics and computers. Was he said all decision making can be di distilled down to a one and a zero? Yeah, it was it's Turing. Is it Turing? Turing, yeah, Alan. Yeah. I spoke to his. I think it was his nephew, Dermot Dermot Turing. He wrote a book about him. X Y Z. Really good. Interesting. You can go back. I'll should put it in the show notes. Maybe you can listen to it. I find it pretty interesting. Alan yeah. Turing was amazing. Guy was a full genius. Um, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed, Luke? I mean, where can why don't you tell people where people can read your stuff, social media, how they can contact you, etc. Sure. Well, uh, I have a, a Substack account, which is um, I, so I migrated from my previous website. 
to Substack recently and uh, shifted all, all the all the stuff over there. So that's flintandsteel.substack.com. So that's where I'm going to be putting up everything from now on. You can find my whole archives uh, there. I, I'm on. I'm on Twitter and YouTube and those sorts of platforms, um, but I'm I'm trying to kind of step back from those mainstream media outlets and really focus on uh, something a little bit more direct. Uh, but you can find me on on those. You can find all my podcasts on YouTube um, and also uh, on Rumble as well. That I'm I'm backing everything up on on Rumble. Uh, which is a much better platform than YouTube, who've already re removed two of my videos. So I suspect that my my days on YouTube are numbered anyway. Um, so Substack's the main place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Rumble. Uh, and um, feel free to to reach out. I, I like to I like to have uh, direct interactions with people who who you know read my 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 work and listen to my podcast. I like to have a, a direct connection. So, you know, anyone who's interested, please don't be a stranger. Please do reach out. Yeah, I see you're interested in Burroughs. And this is what, where Eros cannot go, the fragmented metaphysics of William Burroughs. I did a show about him. What's your kind of, uh, what's your take on Burroughs? Burroughs was, I think, essentially a, a, a victim of the world that produced him. I think he was a victim of an elite culture, a cultural elite. Uh, and, you know, his family history is, was connected to Ivy Lee. His uncle was Ivy Lee, the founder of, one of the founders of public relations along with Edward Bernays. And, Rockefeller. He represented the Rockefellers, yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. And the Nazis as well. Has some, some, some contact with Nazis. So, you know, uh, very... Uh, very dubious character uh, and burrows himself i think he was a victim of abuse uh, and he he recapitulated that abuse in his own life and his life was very sad and very full of tragedy and chaos and you know shot his wife uh you know his son committed suicide because of uh essentially being neglected by burrows and abused by burrows's pederastic friends and so i think burrows's writing is very uh, you know, is well, is very is a mixed bag between uh, very interesting, sometimes very entertaining, uh, so often absolutely disgusting, uh, uh, but really reflects the complexities of his own character. He was a, a tormented man, really trying to uh, trying to trying to work with his trauma in all the wrong ways. Right, more drugs, more, yeah, yeah, crazy. Luke, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge about this kind of echo movement and its infiltration. I think everything's just going to be infiltrated, right? I think that just our own autonomy is next, I guess is the next thing. But uh, really great piece, great references, well-researched. No names are in there, Horsley, Dalrymple. And things I learned, I didn't know those that character's name. I didn't know who... Martine Rothblatt was, or uh, this other woman, Sophie Pritchard and Tiger. So I learned a lot just uh, reading that one article. So thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure to be on. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed the chat. And uh, I hope to, uh, hope to speak again sometime. Yeah, likewise. Good. All right, cool. Have a great one. Stay there. Stay there. See you.